Hey everyone, welcome back to Listen For Real. I'm Jen Oliver and I am here with my friend. Oh, I love this girl, you guys. Dr. Sarah Almilly is here and you are in for such a, I'm gonna call it miraculous. I'm gonna call it a miraculous treat and here's why. Because Sarah has a story actually many stories. There are so many facets to her that you will be delighted by, challenged by, inspired by all the things. And you all know the premise, but let's recap it for those who are new to the podcast. My premise here is that I am constantly having rich conversations as though you're all here on the couch in my living room and we were all having a cup of coffee or tea or a glass of wine. And we were just talking like people do having real conversations that are earthy and real and honest and deepening our sense of connection and community. And this podcast is one vehicle with which I do that. But this one's particularly special to me because y'all I've talked about it over and over. I used to really operate from a very myopic, a very narrow perspective And frankly, a lot of hubris where I thought I knew everything and had cornered the market on what was the right way to be, live, think, believe spiritually and otherwise, all the things. And a number of years ago, I got really challenged on that. It was actually on social media. Someone called me out on Facebook and was literally like, you are a xenophobe, a racist. I got fully called out, Sarah. I don't know if you knew that. That That was the blessing that led to this. And I was horrified, like, wait, what? I am not any of those things. And I remember I was defending my narrative and like, no, here's what I meant when I said A, B, and C. And I was so shaken by it. But then I went, never again am I going to say something. And I really didn't mean to say something offensive, but it was because I was ill-informed. And I think that when we have perspectives that are broader than our own, that can then add something really important to our conversation that is a spirit of inquiry and a spirit of curiosity. But I used to assert myself as though I just knew everything because I'd heard someone else's talking points or what some ideologue said or what person of authority said. And I just would parrot that stuff sometimes like, oh yeah, of course that's true. And getting called out was humbling, but it was a total gift to me. And I remember resolving, I will have broader conversations with people who do not just reinforce my existing views and then neatly reinforce them again. And there goes my echo chamber and everything I know is based on me and all the people who think like me. And that's the only people I hang out with. Like what? Um, I would miss people like you, Sarah. I, we yeah. wouldn't have been friends. And what a loss that would have been in my life. So I, I really always endeavor on this podcast to talk to people who've had some kind of varied lit, lived experience, work, life, uh, where they're from, uh, to the things they've been through, to their belief system, doesn't matter. So that's where you come in, Dollface. I'm so happy you're here. And I would love if you would just as though we're sitting on the couch, would you let them know what it is you want them to know about you? Like, what do you want people to know about Sarah? I can talk about, she's a doctor. She's so well-educated. She's such a gifted entrepreneur. She's an amazing speaker. She's gorgeous. She's, she's a love, she's got this loving soul that is just magnetic and 
and radiant you shine, Sarah. But what would you want people to know about you? And maybe just a little bit of kind of your story and and how we've come together. Do you want to start there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh my gosh, what a story for you. And I am so sorry someone called you out on that. I, I believe have- in humanity and this is not humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, and, and good comes from it. You know, sometimes we get called out and we have a very negative experience and there was aspects to what they said that was yeah. right. Was it the right way to handle it? No, but maybe because it was so bombastic and um, con- confrontational, that's the impetus for much of the best things I've done. So anyway, thank you. Yeah, no problem. And yes, if you need all these things, you've literally, you're talking to the right person. Whoever is hearing this, it's it's one heck of a story. But how do I introduce myself or who I really am outside of all things profession? Uh, I'm a wife. Uh, three years married to an amazing husband. I am Egyptian by ethnicity. Uh, I came to this country when I was 17, turning 18. Um, I was born and raised in Egypt. Um, What else? I am also a daughter to amazing parents that live in LA. Uh, They're both 65. They're the same age, been married for 40 years now. So be on their path and keep my marriage for that long. I'm a sister to a brother who is a U.S. Navy vet. Um, and yeah, I I am me. I My personality, I am an achiever. Um, I'm futuristic. But one thing about me that everyone knows is that I'm a mama bear. I protect <laughs> with all my heart. Um, I love people, zero or hundred. I don't do in the middle. So you're either in my circle or out which is a flaw, but also a blessing, because then that means, you know, my circle is very high quality and not quantity. So this is in a nutshell, me, my personality, my intersectionality and who I am. Yeah. Will you say a little bit about, because that was one of the things when I first met you that stunned me was your experience growing up in Egypt, then emigrating here, then kind of starting over. I mean, y'all imagine coming to a brand new country as a 17 year old that I mean that in itself is character building I can only imagine right and so would you just share a little bit about that and and some of the aspects with which you had to start over too from I mean you're a doctor but that that's already a hard road and you had a particularly hard road because you had to like do it twice so to speak Will you just talk more about all of that and how you grew up too? Yeah, I actually, so I had to do it three times almost. Uh, One time I just don't recall very well because I was a child, Um, but I'm pretty sure it had to do with my, you know, who I am today. So when I first, I was born in Egypt and my dad used to work in Kuwait. Uh, Back then it was such an amazing thing to work in in the Gulf area, which is Kuwait, Bahrain, right? All these areas. And we, he ended up taking us there. Um, and I lived there until I was four, and then I am about to age myself to the point here. But in 1990, the Iraq and Kuwait War took place, the Gulf War, um, and we ended up being displaced out of Kuwait, which was home, to Egypt. So that was my first time I actually had to move, well, second, if you will, but first time when I was actually four and with it and talking and feeling, uh, going from Kuwait to Egypt. Do you remember that when you were four? Like, do you have memories of it? 
I don't have memories of it, but unfortunately, I kept the hypervigilance that I got yeah. from it. Yeah. Uh, being displaced, driving like across different countries and continents, fighting for water, uh, you know, having to deal with a lot of sad stories. I don't need to make this podcast a downer here, so I'll just save the stories for another time. But yeah, it was a lot of hard time. Uh, they separated my dad from the wife and kids, so we had to do to go our separate ways. So went back to Egypt and uh, and then I lived there until I was 17 when I came here. My So in order for me to tell you how I felt when I came here, I need to tell you what Egypt is like and when it comes <laughs> to the education system. So my parents were so graceful that they put me in like private schools, right? So these are like English Christian schools that I grew up in. My language was, I thought was great. Uh, in the English language, it was all British because obviously Egypt was more colonized by Britain uh, mm -hmm. more than America or never America. And um, I thought we were set. I thought I was set that, you know, one day I just always knew that my parents said one day we're going to go to America because it's like, you know, better future for us and the family and my brother and myself. But we had been years and we thought this day will never come. <laughs> the day, however, came and I, we were all in shock. But before the day came, I was had already made it all the way through high school in Egypt. And in Egypt, the education system is so different than here. You study your butt off right in high school and based on wherever you score you enter the degree of your desire because over there there are no doctorates per se it's everything is bachelors but you get your uh match in high school not here mm -hmm. not in college yeah um so i remember oh my gosh i remember studying like crazy this is why i developed scoliosis because i was always in my book like studying for my whole childhood oh my gosh <laughs> according to the doctor i have scoliosis because i studied my whole life which is not wrong <laughs> um but i scored i scored really really high and I actually ended up being in pharmacy school so i actually got accepted to get into pharmacy school it was mr international university in egypt and i had thought i had made it and my dream had come true um, literally one semester later at 17 and a half at this point, we were supposed to leave the country and leave it now, uh, because immigration work came back after it had been years and they said, you have six months to leave. Oof. So we had to pack up and go. I came here and this is my, my whole entire family and my mom's siblings and their families. It's like one big family. We are all moving 16 people <laughs> together. <laughs> Can I just, I, I just really want to underscore something. Y'all, you, I want to make sure everyone understands immigration like looks different for a lot of people. How many years, Sarah, was your family trying to enter the United States and 12. get 12 years? Mm-hmm. 12 years. So of course you're like, oh, it's probably never going to happen. You're building your life there in Egypt. And next thing you know, you've got six months to completely move and move for probably forever, right? That's yep. it. Imagine. Yep. Okay. Uh, stunning. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. So uh, my dad sold whatever he could sell. My dad is an engineer. My mom is an accountant. Um, so we kind of left some apartments, but like the business was sold, things like that. You know, you get the money, you try to do as much as you can, because then you're now having to go to hold this country where $1 at the time was like, what, 15 Egyptian pounds. So mm. 
there's you need a lot more money to afford <laughs> to be here in the beginning um but long story short we ended up coming here and i thought after a hit obviously depression and anxiety and i told my parents like i thought i had blamed them for it because they're the ones that took me out of pharmacy school and i had made my dream and how dare you yeah. um and left my friends you know 17 you have a teenager on your hands and you just remove her from all things okay um, so it was hard and then when I came back to my senses, I was like, all right, it's fine, it's fine, it's okay. I'm just gonna, you know, go back to pharmacy school. I, I've done it before, I can do it again. Um, well, and then here is the kicker. <laughs> so I always have this joke. Um, America didn't know what to do with me because I was too old to go to college. I came here uh, beginning of 2004 and I was too young to be in high school. So I literally had to sit up for a while while I could turn 18 so I can go to community college because obviously I can't go straight to undergrad, but I also couldn't go to high school like the rest of my brother and my cousins because now I'm too old for oh high school. Gosh. Oh my gosh. So I couldn't do anything. I was like, you're on the university track back at home and suddenly you're going, I'm zero. in Bearsville. Yeah. Yes. I went from university to literally zero. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know what to do. And then obviously everyone needed help. My parents needed help. We we're all like all hands on deck. And I was trying to understand the country. Um, so I remember I worked at McDonald's actually, very first job of my life, worked at McDonald's in LA, Southern California. And uh, I was like, oh, let me, you know, I'll be okay. I wasn't. <laughs> oh, the language, even though I spoke English, it's a whole different English. And people look at you differently. And you obviously I dressed differently and I spoke differently and my hair was different. Yeah. And I have curly hair and it was just it's too much to get used to at once and like to get accustomed to. And I, I come from Egypt, right? People say like, hello, how are you doing? All nice and formal. Or even if we're friendly, it's still a handshake. Here yeah. I came and I was like, oh, people are hugging each other? Like, oh, wait, you kiss each other, hello? You hug each other, hello? Is this normal? It was yeah. literally the, the little things that here and now we take for granted, or not now, but like, you know, everyone. Yeah. For someone who's coming from outside, this is a whole new world. Like, I, I, I yeah. There, I hope I am giving you a glimpse of the amount of shocks in the row. <laughs> yes, yes. And the amount of, not just sharks, but shocks, but you know, what is occurring to me is, you know, we think of being in a foreign land in terms of being vacationers and not, I am trying to find friends. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to be understood. I'm trying to find my people. I'm trying to, I mean, I can't imagine that that had to be just, yeah. did you ever, I mean, was it just like, were there times you wanted to, did you ever like beg your parents, please don't make me stay here. I want to go back to Egypt. Did you do any? Oh, multiple times. Oh, oh yes. Did. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. I said, I can't, there's no future for me. There's no career. I can't even go to college. Take me back to pharmacy school. I'll just go finish there and then I will come here. Yeah. But obviously we're one unit. We can't separate, uh, especially when you have Middle Easterns back then. Now there's a lot more open-mindedness in the world, Middle East included. But back then, mm -hmm. it was like, no, the girl cannot stay there by herself. We mm -hmm. are here together. You're a girl. You have to be here with your family. 
um, if I have to go back, then all of them have to go back. Then that defeats the 12 years of work to come here. Yes. Oh my gosh. And the pressure to go, I'm not going to be the cause that, you know, has to bring everyone back or, or be the complainer. Yeah. Exactly. You can't, you can't do that. So I worked at McDonald's and I was like, all right, I'm going to power through, learn the world, figure out how to, how to do this. Um, my dad, of course, went straight to work. My mom went straight to work. Uh, thankfully, they found amazing jobs. My dad worked straight as an engineer once he found it, uh, once we came to California. My mom worked in LA County and she still works there until this day. Um, my brother got into high school. So everyone felt like they were settled in, but mm -hmm. I kind of wasn't because I was still working at McDonald's and I can't go to school. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I need to do something with my life. Yeah. Um, but I think. In hindsight, I wouldn't have done it any other way because I, I really do have a lot of um, appreciation from starting from the very bottom and working my way up. Yes. Uh, like Until this day, you will hear me say things like, oh my gosh, I remember the days when I used to buy all my clothes from Goodwill. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was such an amazing achievement. Mm -hmm. um, I bought my first car for $4,000. And it was a Pontiac Sunfire, probably 2000 and I don't know when. Um, and it's all these things that made me appreciate, you know, the Benz or the Audi or the, like, you know, yeah. whatever I need or whatever the situation may be. Long story short, I ended up going to community college and they asked me that I have to be placed in, um, you know, those uh, placement tests, I think they call them, right? Placement tests. So I had to do placement tests for English and math. And I want to say science, if I'm not mistaken, because they wanted to know what classes to put me in. And I had to pick a major, which is a whole different conversation. What's a major? What do you yeah. mean a major? People there go to pharmacy, medicine, just that. Yeah. What's a major and what's a minor? <laughs> yeah. uh, so I had to learn that lingo. Um, so here's the thing. This is, I think, one of the, this is when it, the road got tough and kept on getting tougher. When I first got into all these placement tests, I scored the highest uh, in math. So I was supposed to be in college algebra and I scored the highest in English. So technically I, I was supposed to be in college level English, but because I was an immigrant and I can't just score into college level anything, I had to be put one down. <sighs> so I had to do pre-algebra. <laughs> <sighs> And I had to do ESL, English as Second Language, just so that because I cannot go straight into college placements because I didn't finish high school from here and I'm an immigrant. So I took that and I powered through and I took my bio on science and all the things. And I, like I said, I'm an achiever. I'm, uh, when I put my mind into something, I do it. And I was told and I knew two years, two years, community college. You finish all your classes, you get good degrees, you move on to an undergrad, four-year undergrad, right? Normal. Okay, got this. I did my two years. I actually did even one of them. I did um, research. I was one of 20 mm -hmm. students in the whole country to do NIH internship in the summer. And I did it. And I was so proud. I applied to all the UCs, uh, UC San Diego, UC Berkeley, all of them. On my second year of the community college, bam. I got rejected from every single one of them. Oh, God, Sarah. Oh, my gosh. The devastation was unreal. Yeah. Unreal. 
unreal because then it went back to the scar right take me to egypt like they're not even taking me like my gps 3.8 i have nih research i'm doing all the things i took pre-algebra to finally make it to finish calculus i took yeah. the bios and the microbios i took all these things and i'm doing so great why are you rejecting me yeah. so that was another depressive episode uh and then i did it again i was like okay fine did research at UCLA to enhance my extracurricular. And then I decided like this year, I'm going to show them what's up kind of thing. I love it. Um, but yeah, I ended up uh, applying to all the things UCs again and Cal State, and I ended up getting actually into all of them year three. Yeah. Uh, I chose UC San Diego with a microbio major. Now I knew what a major was. Yeah. Um, and I decided to do that. And from there, I got into Loma Linda Pharmacy School. Fast forward. I uh, did my residency and became a pharmacist, yeah. but it took me 11 years. 11 years. Mm-hmm. Y'all, we got to all stop our crying. Are you kidding? 11 years of perseverance. Oh. 11 years. Yep, yeah. exactly. Of perseverance, of the expense, of paying for all of that. I mean, all of this, the time, the energy. I am so proud of you. And so did you experience, did you experience like racism or you know, people treating you different because you were an immigrant or making judgments about you and thinking they knew something about you. Did you have to overcome a lot of that? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And when I first got here, I didn't even know what that felt like in the beginning. I just yeah. thought like, oh, these questions are stupid. And then I learned what it means to be racist. Um, but in the beginning, it was like, people would ask, oh, where are you from? You have an accent. And I'd say, I'm from Egypt. And then it, sometimes the next question would be like, is this where Bin Laden came from? I'm like, wow, and no, and okay. There's <laughs> like a lot of feelings about that question. Yeah. Well, you did come here during a, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like right after the situation, 9-11. And it's like we link, so many people would just link anyone from right. any, that region Right. of the Middle East, like a region and assume everyone's a terrorist or linked to a terrorist or knows a terrorist or right. Practically speaking. Yeah. All the time. I got the amount of things people assume that I come from the pyramids and that we don't wear clothes over there and that we don't have cars. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. This, this is like within three years of me being here, all the questions that I didn't understand what racism is. So I wasn't able to answer like more, uh, I guess with, a how do you say, like assertiveness or confidence, I was more answering like, oh, like that's so cute. No, this is not the case. I was answering more from a defense standpoint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have pyramids. Um, my mom works as milking the cows in Egypt. I got that too. I'm like, my mom's an accountant. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, um, you write camels or something. Yeah. Camels. Oh yeah. That's why they said like, I will never forget that. Like you don't have cars. Don't you have camels? I'm like, we have camels for tourists to be on. <laughs> right. can, you, can you and I just, this can be a plea. Okay. Everyone lean in close, take a knee. This is why I'm such a proponent of being a global citizen of traveling of seeing other places. Because if your only perspective that someone comes here from Egypt is that they live next to pyramids, that they're naked and that they have some kind of thing, turban or something on their head and that they ride camels. Oh my gosh, we got to do better, friends. We got to do better. Yeah, please do better. <laughs> please, 
all oh, the whole world, please. We only yeah. myself for other countries. I need be, to do better. So I'm a communications person. So let's just throw out a few bones. It's again, a spirit of inquiry, a spirit of curiosity. Wow. You're from Egypt. Oh my gosh. I've never been there. What's it like? What was your life like there? Is it a lot different than here? Is it similar? I mean, obviously I know there's pyramids, but I don't know much else. And clearly, you know, ask with curiosity as opposed to making assumptions. Anyway, that's my aside and my training in communication for the day. Okay. Back to you. Global citizen. Okay. So then you experience all of that. You finish up pharmacy school you begin to practice, right? You're out there, you're working. Um, now take me to kind of where you are now and what you're, what you're learning and, and how you're applying. I, what I think is really interesting is that you are very determined to apply everything from your experience, from your challenges, from things that got you down it seems to me in my observation of you over the short period we've known each other that you really take all of it to inform how you run your business, how you interact and engage with people. And I just think that's really important. But again, I often believe some of the things that make us the best entrepreneur or the best physician or the best friend or the best wife is born out of suffering and hardship. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. you're one of the most beautiful examples of, of you know, there's sacred texts that say ashes to beauty and or that um, God will restore the years the locusts ate is like from the Old Testament. And I love yeah. all of these different phrases that go, it can, something difficult and hard and horrific can be made to something so beautiful. And that's what I see you doing. So will you just speak to how hardship has kind of informed the amazing things you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hardship was not or is not just racism. Hardship could be a lot of things. For me, for my personal life, hardship was not what I now identify as racist comments that I had received in general. Uh, hardship was me being displaced, right, at age of mm. zero, almost to four, and then four and 17. Yeah. Um, and then hardship to me is having no financial means for a while after coming from being well off in Egypt and having a fancy princess life. Um, and now I come here and I started working and every penny counted and buying used clothes, buying an old car. Um, it all, you know, these are hardships that some people may or may not have gone through uh, in their lives. Hardship for me also as now my career went on uh, was being a woman in, um, you know, in my world, in the profession. Uh, pharmacists, there's a lot of women pharmacists out there. Um, I think being a woman came with the positions that I have held in my career uh, more than just, you know, the pharmacist in me. So even, you know, there were times where I was told, you're a woman, like, why do you want to be the president of this and this? Like, shouldn't you have other things to do? Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, recently I held, um, I moved a couple of different jobs since graduation. I moved up and climbed up that corporate ladder pretty quickly, uh, more than, you know, the normal trajectory. Uh, I'm proud of it. Um, it also was a good, fast, aha moment. Like, this is not what I want to do. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
because the more you climb up that ladder, the more you get told, and even if not told, you see how things could get really sensitive out there, yeah. uh, to say the least, right? Yeah. Like I was once told, like I wanted to promote in my position, and I was once told, this is, uh, you know, this is a men's club out there. You don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, and you would have comments like this, and how do you react to things like that in your career, right? You're a professional woman that's at like higher levels. How do you, how do you answer this in a politically correct way and environment? Mm-hmm. Um, some other hardships regarding being like Egyptian in my career. Now, fast forward racism, I get comments sometimes, or I've got one comment that says, oh, I didn't know Egyptians can be so smart. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It, intelligence has not to do with race. Like yeah. I didn't know people can be so stupid. Like, I don't know. Like, how do you respond to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm totally like dropping my guard here. These are real stories. These are true things that happened. Yeah, no, that's the whole point of this conversation is these are the real stories. Okay, hang on. Let's take a quick break. And um, and then I've got a few more questions when we get back. We'll be right back, everybody. This is your lucky day if you are the person who's tasked with booking the keynote speakers or workshop facilitation for your company or your organization, or perhaps you know someone who needs a speaker for a special event or retreat. Guess who's available? That's right. I am booking out now for 2024. And if you're looking for a relational person who knows how to deliver truly engaging personal and professional development for your team, I talk all things communication, connection, leadership, and so much more. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Reach me at realjohnoliver.com, click schedule a call, and let's explore what your group needs and perhaps I can help. Again, realjohnoliver.com, click on schedule a call. Okay, ladies, this one's for you. You will often hear me reference Women Speak Workshops when I'm talking on the podcast, and I want you to know more about them in case these would support you. I host small groups of women in the greater Sacramento region in an ongoing curriculum called Women Speak, and it helps a woman to find her more authentic voice and feel honestly more confident in using it. It's a body of work that offers methods and tools practice and feedback in a really supportive group, very intimate, small group of women. And it will help you to feel a greater sense of self-trust when speaking your truth. And we address everything from people pleasing to nerves to speaking anxiety. And it's a game changer, whether you're having a hard conversation with someone close to you or offering your perspective in a business setting, or maybe sharing your story or message from a huge stage. We all crave that feeling of confidence and security when we speak. So check out realgenoliver.com, look for the Women Speak dropdown, or click on the button that says schedule a call. And let's talk about this. It might be exactly what you're looking for. And we are back. Okay, so you guys... Part of the thing is I take a break because I want to check in and ask permission because I want to ask um, Sarah a really sensitive question and I wanted to clear it with her first before doing it on the podcast. And um, it was 
about displacement, you referenced it twice at four from Kuwait to going back to Egypt to, and then at 17, that was a decision to leave um, Egypt and come to the United States. But I was just thinking about all that's going on um, for Israelis, all that's going on for Palestinians, all that's going on in Ukraine. I mean, we could just over and over, people have been displaced. People have been atrocities committed against them, uh, separated families. Um, we've seen it at our own southern border. I mean, this is this is not a new phenomenon. It is sadly as old as time. But I think it's very easy to get numb to what we're seeing on the news every night and go, well, that's just what's happening over there with those people. And we kind of other them and we're all human beings and we are all in the human family. And so I think anytime that we can get, we can draw closer to one another and understand and be that village for one another it matters and that it isn't just those people over there dealing with something. It is, it's our human brothers and sisters. And so that's why Sarah, I wanted to ask you if you would just share a little bit about maybe what it felt like or how it impacted you, because these things aren't just a one-off situation. They, this is trauma. This is stuff people that is formative to their very unconscious mind. These little children who may not have, memory of it. Let's say they're really young, but let me tell you guys, I have an adopted child and I'll never forget, excuse me, when um, my child was young and came to us as a baby, as an eight month old, people would say, oh, you know, that's so great. He'll never have memories of being anywhere else. He's only an eight month old. They don't have memory and he'll always just know being in your family. And that can be, yes, they may not have memory, but y'all, your neurodevelopment starts in utero. Your neurodevelopment, your psyche, your unconscious mind, your narratives, your triggers, your traumas, your body keeps score. And all of that is filed away, even if you don't remember it. And so for him to suddenly go from one day to have a family and the only people he know who has had the smells of his mother, biological mother, to the people around him were all the people he knew. And in an instant, those are gone. And then he's in a foster home for six months. And those are the only people who he knows who are feeding him and taking care of him. And then in one day, he is removed from foster home and put into our home, complete strangers. And I can tell you, he may not remember that as an eight-month-old baby, but his body remembers. His psyche and his unconscious mind remembers that at key times, neurodevelopmentally, everything he knew that was secure, everyone he uh, recognized was suddenly gone. Where did they go? In his little baby mind, he must have been thinking, where did that voice go? Those smells? That Who were these people? How scary that must feel. And don't underestimate, y'all whether people are adult or children or whether they can remember or whether they're seemingly going to a better life, like I'm using my air quotes, that it isn't still incredibly profound and sometimes traumatic. And the more we can understand that and hear stories of that, like yours, Sarah, I think it just helps us understand our fellow humans a little better, even if we didn't have that experience. So that's kind of a long preamble to um, 
what I know you, you want to share, but thank you for just being willing to be kind of vulnerable about that's kind of probably triggering stuff for you that you've had to work through and maybe still deal with as a grown adult, successful, you know, woman. Right. So anyway, what do you think about all that? And yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in, so there are two sides of me that are going to say here or speak. There's the clinical side of me and then there's the human side of me. Right. Um, but clinically speaking, and this has been proven and studied that um, kids that go through traumatic experiences from zero to the age of 12, uh, they call they even have scores for it. It's called the ACE score, the adverse childhood experiences or events. And the higher scores those kids have, the more they are faced with chronic conditions, diabetes, cholesterol, hypertension, mental health problems, obesity, um, lack of people or you know inability to keep a job, and all it's because of something that happened when they were three that they don't even remember. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not something to take lightly. I can't speak for the rest of the world. Uh, everyone has their story. But I will tell you that from what I've experienced, um, like I said, we moved from Kuwait to Iraq overnight. My dad will even, now he jokes about it, but it was a trauma in his life where he would say, I slept in Kuwait. I went to bed while I was in Kuwait and I woke up and it was Iraq mm -hmm. uh, because of the attack and how it just completely rapidly changed overnight. The rug was taken from under his feet. Um, so we fled, right? We, he cared about his kids and his wife. So he took my brother and I and just shoved us in the car and he'd started driving just like everyone else was. Uh, my uncle was with us, my mom's brother and my other uncle, my dad's brother were also there. And we took three cars behind each other and we were just going, heading to Egypt, no matter what happens. But it's the details that occurred during that trip and that displacement that really changes people's lives forever, my life included. For example, our apartment there, obviously we left all things behind. And what we thought were our best friend's neighbors, when things calmed down and my dad went back, they had stolen everything that we had ever owned and left in that apartment. Wow. So that was displacement followed by betrayal later, later mm -hmm. on. When we were going from, right now, people are going from Gaza to Egypt or from Palestine to wherever else, right? And I can't, my heart breaks for them because when we were going from Kuwait to Egypt in the middle of summer, uh, I think it was summer, I don't remember. But anyway, the point is you have thousands of people fighting over water in the desert. There's no water in the desert. There's no random faucets. And this is the Middle Eastern desert. So if you know anything about the Middle East, it's really hot and yes. there's no water. So my dad would, so there will be times where there will be like right in the middle of the road in the desert, there'll be like a little pond, not a pond, it's like a little ditch. Um, we ran out of water and milk. My brother was one, I was four. So I remember my dad always saying like, he would leave the car and he would go and all the men of all the cars would take off their shirts to try to just um, put them in the little puddle and so that they can squeeze the water in their children's mouths so oh that they can put them, can give us water. And my dad was one of the people that fought for water so that he can give us some water. Uh, and sometimes he succeeded and sometimes he didn't succeed. He 
at some point we were you know deeper into the road we lost my uncles and what do you do you can't go back and they were no longer behind us so you have now your 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 brother and your brother-in-law not with you anymore you don't know what happened it could have been uh like a rocket it could have been a bomb it could have been whatever happened in the back and now you can't go backwards you just you can't even grieve because you're on a mission to move on and you have kids in the car so you just move and you hope for either the best or you make peace with it and you just bounce and you go so these are some of the hardships that people feel and the biggest to my heart was when i believe my dad saw some sort of like a building so he wanted to enter uh, for water, again, my brother is one, and we had run out of all things to feed him. He's one. It's been days. So the soldiers um, were adamant that we would not get into the building. And my dad really wanted water. Like, my, my family is going to die. I have a one-year-old. And I remember the, my dad would say, like, the soldier absolutely refused. My dad's last resort, and I don't mean to break anyone's heart, but he took my brother out of his car seat, gave my brother to the soldier, and he said, take him, because if he stays with me, he will die. Mm. You will take him. You will find water for him. Just keep him alive. Mm. And he literally got to a point where he was giving up my brother so that he can live. Yeah. And it's only then that the soldier was like, you know, he was shocked, and he was like, oh, you know, fine, go, go get water. And that's how we went to get water. And then when we eventually reached um, the river, they took away, like I said, like they separated the moms and the kids and they took away the men. So when we went back to Egypt, my dad didn't show for a couple of weeks. And my dad, my mom thought that we had lost my dad. So we mm. grieved for the loss of my dad. Uh, he, thank God, came back later, but this was another like, Hardship yeah. that I went through. How did that all affect me? Um, it obviously I grew up with um, a lot of things that I didn't understand. But now that I am in my age and I'm a doctor and I have a lot of understanding about mental health and where they come from and trauma and all that, yeah, I have. I'm very hyper vigilant. Um, I'm always on the lookout of what's happening, and I mm. can understand 100% that this came from that. I have separation anxiety. Um, mm. Mm -hmm. So I have a very hard time when people leave or when people go on trips or when I leave and I go on trips, I feel like, oh my gosh, they are not going to come back. Yeah. I have these bad thoughts and I've learned not through meds, but I've learned through like coping and understanding that it's because of my things that I don't remember. Yes. <laughs> this is what's happening and I need to kick out my thoughts and I have my own ways and coping mechanisms. So a lot of... I don't know if I'm rambling, but these hardships, the little, not so little things, while people get displaced from their homes, affect yeah. them for a lifetime. Some understand, like I got lucky that now I understand what's wrong with me and like how I deal with it because it helped me find my mechanisms. But yeah. some don't understand, right? Some end up not having that background and they face life with bipolar disorders and they face yeah. life with extreme anxiety and crazy depression and um you know suicidal thoughts and obesity and drug abuse and alcohol abuse all, none of these people got educated about that this is all stemming from there that's right i mean that's you are not rambling you are speaking such wisdom right now because you guys 
that there's so much more to a person. Um, I think Oprah Winfrey and Bruce Perry have the book. I think it's, um, it's what happened to you. It's not what's wrong with you, which is what a lot of people will say when someone's suffering or struggling with something. Well, what's wrong with you? It's what happened to you because what happened to you often informs what might be wrong in the moment. And I think it's so instructive that you as a clinician, this must absolutely influence the way you operate as a healthcare provider, right? I mean, because you know there may be more to what's underneath that hypertension or that diabetes or that mental, um, uh, that anxiety or whatever's going on. And it, it allows you to compassionately probe a little deeper so that you can really get to the crux of it and help that person in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, this is why when I built Elec Health and I started it, I could have done all the technology pathways to help with healthcare and the crisis that we're in. But the one thing I chose to stay true to and ignore all things technology to the best of my ability is that Elec Health will always be based on the human aspect, human compassion, human beings, human holistic care. Um, It means so much to me and everyone that's come through it, like it means so much to them because people are afraid, but they don't say it. People are scared. People are, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, it's my blood pressure. I'm okay. Or it's, you know, it's my thyroid. I'm okay. But deep down, they're terrified Mm -hmm. uh, because of whatever the situation is uh, or because there's no one that's there for them or because they lost someone to it. And right now, our healthcare system doesn't have time to hear those stories. So they yeah. just band-aid with medications, right? Yeah. Oh, you have hypertension, take that pill, and you have this, take that pill. But I have built Illic Health to figure out what is what happened to you yeah. to get you here, because there's a very high chance, which I've found true many, many times, that we actually need to fix this before we compile and fix the surface. It's yeah. not the disease, it's what's causing it. Yes, exactly. It's not the disease. It's what's causing it. And I I remember you telling me ELAC is spelled E-L-A-K, but what does it mean? Doesn't it have a special meaning? It does. Yes. Can you say Ilak, what it means? Yeah. In my language, ELAC is an Arabic word uh, spelled E-L-A-K, and this translates to for you oh, uh, in my language. And I Believe it or not, I know people sometimes are like, really? And I'm like, yes, really. Uh, We have named it that way because it is a constant reminder for us that it is always for the people. We may take off. We may be good. We may be rich. We may be poor. We may be doctors. We may be CEOs and we may sell it all together. But the one reminder that will happen every other word out of my tongue Mm -hmm. is that it is for you and it's not for me. And that's why we named it that way. I love that. I love that. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Oh, my friend, I I just appreciate you really and truly. I'm so, there's a lot in our future. You and I are collaborating on all kinds of things and I can't wait to see what's ahead in 2024 and beyond. But 
I, I truly thank you that you sharpen me. You call me to something higher as a human, as an entrepreneur, as a woman, as, as someone with a voice. You know, I really, people hear me talk about it all the time because it's what I believe in. My call as a speaker coach and as someone who puts together platforms for other people to speak is to elevate and amplify voices that need to be heard and to help support people when they have wisdom and they have a message to support them in getting that out there because it's conversations like this or wisdom like yours or a message like yours that makes a difference for other people. The world is better for having heard from you today. And the world is better when we all share just more vulnerably and open and, um, and less of the the usual stuff that we just, we, we, where we keep things on the surface. I just think it's so valuable and important. So I look forward to what you and I have ahead and you all thank you for just what you are doing in talking about things, having more real conversations with the people around you, joining Sarah and I today in this conversation. It just really, really matters. And I'm grateful for every word of it. Thank Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me and letting me share my story so freely. Yeah, absolutely. And y'all, everything about Sarah is in the show notes. I want you to know more about her. You need to know about her. You need to know about her work. You need to know about her practice. If you're local, it's, she's great. So, all right. Have a beautiful week, everybody. We'll see you next time. This is your lucky day. If you are the person who's tasked with booking the keynote speakers or workshop facilitation for your company or your organization, or perhaps you know someone who needs a speaker for a special event or retreat, guess who's available? That's right. I am booking out now for 2024. And if you're looking for a relational person who knows how to deliver truly engaging personal and professional development for your team, I talk all things communication, connection, leadership, and so much more. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Reach me at realjohnoliver.com, click schedule a call, and let's explore what your group needs and perhaps I can help. Again, realjohnoliver.com, click on schedule a call. Listen for Real is produced by the Jen Oliver Collective and is edited and mixed by Mark Brown. Our music, entitled Zero, is written and performed by Shannon Curtis. If you believe conversations like these belong in the world, would you please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast? And even better, share it with someone else as a real conversation starter. And if you crave something in person, join our audience at the Real Conversation Speaker Series. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you next time.